Section 2 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner Section 2 King Rother The Twelve Messengers Bari is the name of an Italian town which, small and unimportant as it is now, was once a mighty seaport. In those old days the harbor was deep and large and full of ships, while in the town itself were numerous palaces and houses surrounded by gardens and orange groves. Here it was that the great and glorious King Rother, the father of his people and the terror of his foes, held court amongst the dukes, counts, and nobles of the land. The race course was close to the sea, and there the young warriors were wont to congregate, to throw the spear and practice such sports as teach agility, while the women and maidens looked on and distributed prizes to the successful candidates for honor. One day King Rother was seated on his throne, surrounded by his counselors, watching now the people, now the sports, and now the restless waves that were beating against the shore. There was a troubled look upon his face. Turning to his old and faithful banner-bearer, Duke Berthshire of Moran, who sat beside him, "'Look,' he said, "'do you see how the waves raise their foam crowned heads high in the air, dash forward, and then vanish without leaving a trace behind? The kings of the earth resemble them in this, so indeed do all men.' "'What do you say?' cried the Duke. Do you not hear how many songs are sung in your praise? Do you not know that such songs live on from generation to generation, and that your name and deeds will therefore be spoken of with admiration till the end of time? That is poor comfort, replied the king. What is the future to me, when the present is so tame and joyless? A happy home were better to me than the songs of which you speak. There go your seven sons." bold leopold at their head their helmets wreathed in token of victory you live a second life in them and their love will sustain you in your old age what good is my throne to me i have not a wife nor child i shall wither like an old tree or become the laughing-stock of children in my age then why do you not marry asked the duke laughing heartily you are in your prime and a famous warrior you might pick and choose any one you liked for a wife. No one would say you nay, from a simple maiden to a high-born princess. You say that I am free to choose, said Rother bitterly. Kings are more fettered in their choice than other men. They must marry in their own degree, or their children cannot succeed them, and may even live to curse them. I have travelled in many lands, but I have never yet seen the princess I could have wished to make my wife. "'Nay, then, sire, if you are so hard to please,' returned Berchther, after a deep and thoughtful silence, "'I think I know of a lady who might suit you, if you are willing to risk your head for her sake.' The king desiring further information, Berchther showed him a portrait of a lovely girl, who, he said, was the daughter of the emperor of Constantinople. Rother could not take his eyes off the picture— and exclaimed that she, and she alone, must be his wife. "'Very good, my lord,' said Birchther, "'but that is a more difficult matter to bring about than you think. I must explain what I mean. 
the emperor constantine is so devoted to his daughter that he will not part with her and if any man be he count duke or king is bold enough to go and ask for her hand he at once orders his head to be cut off and what is the good of a headless wooer i think answered rother that i shall meet with a better reception than that the emperor of the east will know how to bear himself to the ruler of the west but now call my counsellors together that i may tell them what i intend to do when the council was assembled the king told his ministers the whole story adding in conclusion that he intended to do his wooing in person they strongly dissuaded him from this upon the plea that the king being the chief of the state had no right to endanger its safety by risking his head unnecessarily rother at last gave way much against his will the debate as to who should go to constantinople lasted a long time for each man felt that his head was of at least as much value to himself as the king's could possibly be to the state then leopold birchther's brave son rose with six of his brothers and declared in their name and his own that they were ready to go as soon as the ships were fitted out for the journey whereupon five noble counts emulating the valour of these seven announced their willingness to accompany them preparations were made for the departure of the twelve ambassadors and at last the day came on which they were to set sail just before the anchors were lifted the king came down to the harbour his gold-stringed harp in his hand and sang them a farewell song so strangely sweet and stirring that it moved them as wooden's songs used to move the hearts of their fathers in the olden time it seemed to them as though the god of battles were calling on them to be up and doing the music ceased and then rother took leave of them saying if ever you are in need and you hear that song you may know that i am near and will help you the hawsers were unloosed and the ship set sail after a voyage that lasted for days and weeks the travellers sighted the golden horn the port of constantinople and as the sun was rising over the city they landed at the wharf they dressed themselves in velvet and heavy gold brocade and cloaks trimmed with ermine every one turned to gaze after them as they passed up the street towards the palace none knew who they were or whence they came but all thought they must be the ambassadors of some mighty prince the emperor was yet in bed dreaming of the feasts and carousals in which his heart delighted when the empress awoke him and said get up constantine the messengers of a great king have come to see you they bring tidings of vast importance you must receive them with all due honour and respect when the emperor was ready he desired the ambassadors to be brought to him in the throne-room where he received them courteously at first all went well constantine was pleased that his friendship and alliance should be sought by the ruler of the west and expressed his delight in no scant terms but when leopold went on to say that his royal master had also commissioned him to ask in his name for the hand of the princess oda the emperor's wrath knew no bounds he ordered his guards to seize the foreign hounds and cast them into prison when the guards had left the hall with the twelve ambassadors constantine began to pace the floor rubbing his hands and muttering behead drown hang which shall it be ah it were best to hang them 
it would be a grand sight twelve fine gentlemen in gorgeous raiment brought at once to the gallows saint maurice grant that the wondrous spectacle may bring us glory constantine said the kindly empress beware what you do is our beautiful daughter never to marry would it not be a good thing to give her to king rother and let her rule the west with him as we the east if you slay the messengers he has sent rother will assuredly ally himself with the heathen king of desert babylon and with his help seek your destruction saint michael and his holy angels will protect us against the mind of the godless host of infidels replied the emperor sanctimoniously ah said the prudent wife do not be too sure of that he has other things to do he has to fight for the conversion and salvation of the wild heathen tribes take my advice and keep rother's messengers as hostages that our hands may be strengthened when their king comes over the western sea and demands them from us at the head of his army the council pleased the emperor and he gave orders that the prisoners should be well guarded the sailing of the heroes the weeks and months rolled into a year and still the ambassadors did not return to bari every heart was full of an undefined dread had they perished at sea or at the hands of the cruel tyrant to whom they had been sent none could answer old birch there one day went to the king and said sire my heart is sad i can bear my sorrow no longer i had twelve goodly sons helfrich the eldest was slain fighting the barbarians near the elbe in the far north seven have gone to constantinople in your service and have never returned i will go and see if i can find them you must not go alone returned the king i will call a meeting of the royal council and ask my wise advisers what were best to be done after a stormy discussion in which weighty arguments were often enforced with still weightier blows it was determined to follow the advice of the eldest councillors these aged and reverend men were of the opinion that it would be bad policy to send an army against constantinople for were the messengers still alive the emperor would assuredly put them to death when he found that rother had appeared in the guise of an enemy it would be far better they contended to send a richly appointed assembassage composed of good men and true to spy out the land and see if it were not possible to save their friends and gain the hand of the princess at the same time king rother announced his intention of placing himself at the head of the expedition and as birchther refused to be left behind candomelgar of tangeline was appointed regent preparations for their departure went on apace noble warriors came from all parts of the kingdom to offer their services among those accepted were twelve men who were so tall and so heavy that they could have nowhere found horses strong enough to bear their weight king rother alone knew who they were and he received them as old and trusted friends they were asprian osburn chief of the northern giants and eleven of his tallest men at length all was ready and the ship set sail amidst a blare of trumpets a fair wind filled the sheets which were edged with cloth of silver and the vessels glided through the glassy deep as if drawn by swans the king stood high on the deck of his galley 
when he touched his harp and sang of a woman's love and manly courage the hearts of the heroes were fired to deeds of daring and the mermaids and dolphins dipped their heads out of the waves and played about the prows and listened to the lay then rother called his chiefs about him and told them that he intended to go cunningly to work when he got to constantinople he would introduce himself to the emperor as dietrich a noble of king rother's country who had been outlawed by his sovereign and who now craved constantine's protection he further desired them to begin at once to call him by his assumed name that they might make no mistake on their arrival the voyage was uneventful and the adventurers soon reached their destination the first to land were dietrich and old berchther and then followed the flower of rother's army lastly the giants appeared inspiring awe and fear in every heart all were clothed like princes in splendid attire and with jeweled armor the empress received the strangers with courtly grace and even the emperor looked pleased to see them strangers he said we should like to know from whence you come who you are and what brings you to our good city before granting you permission to remain here we would fain know more about you mighty sovereign of greece hungary and bulgaria answered dietrich we come from the realm of king rother where i bore the title and power of duke i held my liege lord in all his battles but as i was always victorious he grew jealous of my good fortune and i had to fly for my life i have come here as a fugitive with my faithful vassals and all the wealth i could carry and now i entreat of you to grant me your protection for which i will repay you by faithful service in the field you are an honest man replied the emperor and you shall receive a fitting welcome i was afraid at first that you had come on the same errand as the ambassadors of king rother who asked me to give my daughter in marriage to their master i have them safe under lock and key where even the light of the sun cannot reach them had your request been the same as theirs you and your men would have suffered the like fate on hearing these words the giant asprian started forward the whole room trembling beneath his mighty tread my lord he cried laying his hand upon his sword you might perhaps have found that a more difficult task than you imagine before you took us prisoners many of your guard would lay low and who can tell whether you yourself would have escaped scatheless we are not lambs to be slaughtered at the will of any man constantine did not much like this address and tried to smooth down the ruffled feelings of the giant after some further conversation he invited the strangers to dine at his table while they were eating a tame lion of which the emperor was very fond began to steal the food from under the hands of the guests asprian's wrath was roused by the tempting morsel being snatched away from him and starting up he seized the beast in his powerful hands and flung him with such force against the stone wall of the banqueting room that he fell never to rise again constantine desired his guards to turn the giant out of the hall but the empress whispered oh take care what you do that man is not to be defied with impunity king rother must be very powerful to have outlawed such men as these take my advice and set his messengers free 
let them take our daughter home with them that she may be the wife of a great king and that she may induce her husband to be our friend and ally constantine listened in angry silence at length he desired his wife to be silent reminding her that when once he had made up his mind on any subject he never changed dietrich and his friends took up their abode in the lodging the emperor had assigned to them and there they had their treasures borne by the sailors a labor that lasted many days many were the gifts they showered on their new acquaintances amongst others on lord helm and a brave and somewhat poor warrior named arnold the latter was so touched by their kindness that he swore to help his benefactor whenever he could the fair oda the story of dietrich's wealth and generosity became known in the palace and princess oda was seized with an intense curiosity to see the hero of so many tales she took counsel with herland her chief lady-in-waiting as to how she might accomplish her purpose with most propriety then acting on her advice she begged her father to get up some races and allow her and the ladies to watch the sport the emperor consented and on the appointed day a large assemblage of spectators appeared on the course the crush of people who collected round dietrich was so great that none of the ladies of the court were able to get so much as a glimpse of him the next day oda called herland into her room and promised her five gold bracelets if she could contrive a secret meeting between her and the stranger herland promised to do her best she went to dietrich's lodging taking every precaution against being seen and gave him her mistress's message he refused to go and see the princess lest the news of his having done so should leak out and come to the emperor's ears but before dismissing herland he gave her a golden and a silver shoe as a present she hastened back to her lady and told her all he is a noble man said oda and cares more for our honour than for his own safety i will keep the shoes in remembrance of him and i will give you instead as many gold pieces as they will hold herland was satisfied with the proposal and now tried to put the shoes on her lady's feet but could not for they were both made for the same foot go cried the princess he is not true i will have none of his gifts and will think of him no more take back the shoes and throw them at his feet wise herland understood how to interpret her mistress's command she hastened to dietrich and told him that the princess was very angry with him but that her curiosity to see him was so great that she would no doubt pardon him if he took a proper pair of shoes with his own hand dietrich seized the first moment when he could reach the princess's apartments unobserved and knocked at the door he stopped on the threshold in amazement at the wondrous beauty of the maiden who advanced to meet him she was also struck by his stately bearing and the resolute expression of his handsome manly face she had intended to show him her displeasure but she could not she could only listen to the grave and sensible explanation he gave of his conduct in not at once obeying her commands and when he asked permission to put the shoes on her feet she could not deny him in course of conversation he mentioned rother's offer for her hand and then little by little he told her his secret 
and the reason that had brought him to Constantinople. He asked her for her love, and she promised to be his wife. He now showed her that her father's sentiments being what they were, their only chance of happiness was to fly together, and explained that before they could attempt to make their escape his faithful servants, who were still confined in the emperor's dungeons, must be set at liberty. He begged Oda to try and set them free. She promised to do her best, and pointed out the gloomy tower in which they were imprisoned. Next day the princess appeared before her father, dressed in deep mourning, and told him that she had had a dreadful dream that night. Her room had seemed full of flames from the nethermost hell, and she had heard a voice call to her that if King Rother's twelve messengers were not brought out of their dungeons, and furnished with clothes, food, and wine, she would fall under eternal condemnation. That was the devil's voice, not an angel's, answered Constantine, and I will not, on such a command, give up the rights I possess by the grace of God. But if it will make you happier, Oda, I will allow the prisoners to have their liberty for a short time, on the condition that someone will offer his life to me as bail for them that they will not try to make their escape. Oda left her father's presence much comforted, for she had made up her mind what to do. THE LIBERATION OF THE MESSENGERS When the emperor, his guests and courtiers, were seated at dinner that day, Princess Oda entered the hall, followed by her ladies. She went round the table and told all and sundry of her desire to liberate the twelve prisoners, and of the condition her father had made. Now who, she asked, will let his head be surety for the heads of these unhappy men? A dead silence reigned in the hall. At last Dietrich rose in his place, and in a loud, clear voice offered himself as hostage for the men, upon which the emperor ordered the twelve counts to be brought out of their prison, taken to the bath and provided with clothes suitable to their rank and condition. This was done, and while the poor fellows, scarcely able to believe their senses, were seated at the meal provided for them, someone outside began to play the harp. They listened intently, a deep flush dyeing their sunken cheeks, and a flash of joyful surprise brightening their sad eyes, for they recognized the air. "'It is he! Our king is near! He has come to save us!' they whispered in awestruck accents. Weeks passed, and light and food did their work in restoring the strength of the prisoners. One day the door of the room opened, and Rother came in dressed in his full armor. "'You are free,' he said joyously. But he had scarcely time to greet them when Birchther rushed forward to embrace his sons, followed by Wolfrat, the hero of Tegeline, Strong Asprian, and Wildot, his inseparable companion. Rother told Leopold and the rest about their voyage, and that he was only known to the Greeks by the name of Dietrich. Then he told how he had won the love of fair Oda, and through her help had gained their freedom at the risk of his own life. But the best was yet to come. Imelot, king of desert Babylon, had invaded Constantine's realm with a mighty army, and had demanded half the empire and the hand of Princess Oda for his son Basilistum. The emperor, not knowing what to do, continued Rother, I offer to help him if he would allow you to join me and my friends. 
He consented, and so you are free to become my comrades in battle. Your armor and weapons lie without. Widal was so delighted at the thought of fighting that he gave way to a stentorian burst of laughter, and nearly knocked the emperor down by accident when he came in to tell the prisoners that they were free. WAR AND VICTORY of all who followed Constantine into the field on that occasion, Dietrich and his men were most worthy of notice, not only because of the magnificence of their accoutrements, but from their noble appearance. Chief amongst them were brave Wolfrat of Tegeling in Bavaria, old Duke Birchther of Meran, his son Leopold of Milan, and other counts of the West, and lastly huge Asprian and his giants. These consulted together on the eve of the day fixed on for the great battle, and determined that when the Greek and Babylonian forces were asleep, they would quietly slip out of their own camp, and, if possible, into that of the enemy. At midnight they set out on their dangerous enterprise. They passed the sentinels by means of the password they had taken care to find out, and softly made their way to the king's tent. It was a warm, but dark summer night. Not a star was visible. The king's bodyguard were asleep at their post. They never awoke again on earth. Wolfrat stabbed them as they slept, to guard against surprise. Widalt entered the royal tent, and picking up Imelod in his arms as though he had been an infant, desired him to be silent as he valued his life. The giant's loud voice awakened some of the servants who slept near, and they rushed into the tent to save their master, but were speedily slain. The whole camp was now astir, but the efforts of the soldiery were in vain. Confused by the darkness and their sudden awakening, many were killed, while a greater number fled, and sought refuge in their ships. Rother and his handful of followers had thus won a complete victory, and before daybreak had returned to their tents with Imelot and some other princes of desert Babylon whom they had taken prisoners. Thoroughly tired with their hard night's work, they threw themselves on their couches and sought well-merited repose. Not so the Emperor Constantine. Contrary to his usual habit, he was up and about at a very early hour, and ordered the horns to blow to rouse the camp. This done, he desired that his troops should pass before him in companies. All were present except Lord Dietrich and his companions. Aha! laughed the emperor scornfully. So that fellow's high talk was all swagger. I will go see what keeps him. And he trotted away to Dietrich's tent. When he got there, he found that all was silent as the grave. Motioning to his attendants to help him from his horse, he advanced to wake the sleepers. In the first tent he saw the grim giant Widalt stretched upon a panther skin, while in the background a man was tossing about on a bed of straw, bound hand and foot. The emperor did not dare to wake the sleeper. He stepped over him carefully, and advanced close to the prisoner. Imelot, in deadly fear lest he should be murdered on the spot, shrieked out who he was, and offered the half of his kingdom in exchange for his life. The noise wakened the giant. He sprang to his feet and, seizing his club, shouted to Dietrich to come, for some treason was being hatched in their very tents. He would certainly have killed both monarchs on the spot 
had his companions not hastened to his side and hindered him. When Constantine heard the occurrences of the previous night, he was filled with surprise and admiration. He gave a solemn feast in honor of the victory, which in public he ascribed to himself, for were not Dietrich and his companions in his pay at the time? In order that the empress and her ladies might not be kept in ignorance of what had happened, Constantine sent Dietrich and his men on in advance to bear the news to the capital. Bringing Home the Bride The western heroes rode back to Constantinople light-hearted and happy, for Dietrich had told them that the hour of their return home was near. The first step, in his opinion, was to proclaim that Imelot had conquered and dispersed the Greek army, and was rapidly marching on the capital. "'All is lost!' they cried, when the citizens came out to meet them. "'Fly! Save yourselves while you may! Imelot's wild horde of savages will soon be upon you!' Then, galloping to the palace, Dietrich entreated the empress to come on board his galley with her daughter and her ladies, and to bring anything of value that she particularly cared for. They soon reached the strand. Oda crossed the plank leading to the vessel, her hand resting trustfully on Dietrich's arm. Then the plank was withdrawn and the ship pushed from land. The empress wept and begged that she might be taken too, but Dietrich explained to her the true state of the case, and telling her who he was, assured her that Oda was going home with him to rule over the West as his beloved queen. "'Ah,' said the mother, much comforted, "'be kind to her, noble hero, and take my blessing on you both. Think of me sometimes, as I shall think of you.' After a pleasant voyage the travellers arrived at Barry, where the marriage of King Rother to the princess was celebrated with all pomp. When Constantine returned with his victorious army to Constantinople and learned what had happened, he was very angry. Had he not feared Rother and his gigantic allies, he would have sent an army to Bari to fetch back the princess. The whole city was in such confusion that King Imelot had not much difficulty in effecting his escape and returning to his own land. The emperor did not fret much when he heard this news. He could think of nothing but the loss of his daughter. He cared not for the rich dishes in which he used to delight, nor for the delicate wines his steward brought to tempt his appetite. He grew thin and pale, and his clothes hung loose on his shrunken frame. THE MOUNTEBANK One day when he was alone in his room, a chamberlain came to him and announced that a clever mountebank had come who would be sure to amuse his majesty and turn his thoughts into a pleasanter channel. The mountebank was admitted. The emperor watched him perform all his curious tricks without a smile. But when the man sang of a woman who had been stolen from her home, and whose friends had freed her by means of cunning, not strength, he listened with his whole soul in his eyes. When the song was finished, he signed to the man to approach him, and asked him if he could bring Oda home to Constantinople. "'Give me,' answered the Montebank, "'a goodly ship, well fitted with merchandise, and I promise to bring the lady back to you. You may send some of your soldiers with me, if you like, that they may cut off my head if I fail to keep my promise.' Before long the ship was laden and ready for sea. It was a fast sailor, and there were many able seamen on board, 
to say nothing of the soldiers the emperor had sent to see that the player was true to his bargain all went well during the voyage and the ship at last reached the port of bari the mountebank landed and set to work to find out all that he could about the royal family he found that king rother had gone to riffland with his troops leaving leopold of milan regent in his place he congratulated himself on his good luck when he heard this for he thought his plan would be easier of accomplishment during the king's absence on return to his ship he made ready to show off his conjuring tricks on board the vessel crowds came tempted by the unusual sight he then brought out his silks and precious stones and offered them for sale amongst his wares was a pebble people asked what good a wretched common pebble could do him this stone he said taking it gently in his hand is worth a ton of gold for if a queen should touch a lame or impotent man with it he would at once become strong and well again ah sighed one of the lords if that were only true i would give half my county were it really so for i have three children all of whom have been lame from their birth they would soon jump about and play like other children replied the mountebank if your good queen would only come on board my ship and try the virtue of the pebble the count hastened to queen oda and told her his story and she with her usual kindness said how willing she was to cure the children if she could she at once set out for the vessel but no sooner were she and her ladies on board than the landing plank was slipped the hawsers were unloosed and a fresh wind catching the sails the ship was soon out of sight of land rother to the rescue the citizens of bari clustered about the harbour not knowing what to do and leopold vainly sought a ship that could be got ready immediately to pursue and overtake the robber's vessel at the same moment king rother's horns were heard proclaiming his return as soon as the king was told what had happened his decision was formed we must take an army to constantinople he cried my dear wife has been stolen from me by force and cunning and by force and cunning i will win her back old duke birchther shook his gray head but said that he and his men would follow the king leopold wolfrat and the other princes of the realm promised to do the same messengers were sent to bear the tidings to all parts of the kingdom and soon a great army was assembled rother picked out the bravest warriors to accompany him amongst whom were asprian and his giants the rest he sent home meantime the ships that were to bear the little army had been got ready and after a favourable voyage reached the neighbourhood of constantinople rother gave orders that the vessels should be run ashore in a small bay surrounded on all sides by a thick wood which stretched in the direction of the city and which would serve to conceal both ships and men we are safe here said rother to his nobles the populace have an unspeakable terror of this wood which they believe to be peopled by monsters of all sorts let the men encamp here and i will go to the city in a pilgrim's dress and see what is going on there was a general outcry at the idea of the king adventuring himself alone in the enemy's stronghold and many of the princes offered to go with him he therefore consented to take the duke of moran and his son leopold 
Before starting, Wolfrat gave him a tiny horn, telling him the sound it made was so shrill that it could be heard for miles around. As soon as we hear it, said Asprian, we shall come to your help with clubs and swords. Yes, laughed Widalt, and then there will be many a broken head, I can promise you. The three pilgrims set out on their way. After going some distance, they saw a horseman coming towards them in shining armor. They asked him if there were good news in Constantinople. Not at all, he answered. Look, King Rother gave me this coat of mail, and my good sword and a thousand gold pieces to boot, for I had lost both land and wealth at the hands of miscreants, and now I find that the Greeks have stolen away his fair wife, and are about to marry her to that cruel demon Basilistum, son of Imelod, king of desert Babylon. For when Imelod escaped from here, he collected a great army, and marching into the emperor Constantine's land, took him prisoner, and now demands the half of his empire and the lady Oda for that unlicked cub, his son, who, according to the present arrangement, is to remain here after his marriage, that Constantine may not be deprived of his daughter's society. All the Christians in the place tremble to think of the persecutions that will follow. Oh, that King Rother would only come! I would join him with all my men as sure as my name is Arnold. Truly, said Rother, as they parted, a kind action often brings unlooked-for reward. The city was full of life and feasting. Imelot, Constantine, and their followers were hobnobbing together in the banqueting-room in the greatest peace and concord, for Constantine was overjoyed at having settled the vexed question of his daughter's marriage without losing her altogether. The hunchback bridegroom sat between his father and his would-be father-in-law, and close to sad Oda and her equally sorrowful mother. The doors were wide open, that the populace might come in and watch the proceedings. So the three pilgrims were able to enter unnoticed, with their hats pulled down low over their brows. They heard Constantine, Imelot, and Basilistum boast of how they would scornfully entreat and hang King Rother and all his giants if they ventured to come within their reach. During the laughter and confusion caused by these speeches, Rother managed to slip a ring bearing his name into his wife's hand, and she, with a look of intense relief, showed it to her mother. "'Rother is here,' cried the hunchback bridegroom suddenly. "'He has just given my wife a ring with his name engraved on it. Seek him out and seize him.' Swords were drawn, tables overturned, and noisy shouts heard on every side. Rother and his companions came forward, and the former said clearly and distinctly, "'Yes, I am here. I have come to claim my wife.' and if the king of desert Babylon or his hunchback son deny my right, I am ready to prove it on their bodies with my good sword. Imelot laughed till the hall re-echoed. Fight with you? he cried. A poor little kinglet like you? No, no, you must be hung. He must be hung, repeated the courtiers. To the gallows with him, and his comrades too, continued the Babylonish king. "'Seize them and bind them till the blood starts from their fingers.' "'The heroes had only their pilgrim staves, "'and these were poor weapons wherewith to defend themselves "'against the swords and lances that were pointed at them. "'They were taken and bound. 
no hand was raised to help them although many a hearty fellow in the crowd had cause to remember dietrich's kindness a king said rother proudly who has often looked death in the face on the battlefield knows how to die when his time comes let the executioner do his work in the haunted wood where constantine has already had so many innocent men put to a shameful death a good idea quoth the emperor grimly there are gallows there that will just do to hang the stealer of women and his comrades on that is right laughed imelot and then the monsters who inhabit the wood will come at night and play many a merry prank with their bones if their friends the giants should come over the sea in search of rother and his crew we will hang them too and they may find themselves in good company the whole army shall see how great imelot revenges himself upon his foes the preparations for the execution were finished in a few hours and the prisoners were borne to the haunted wood amidst an immense crowd and the music of drums and trumpets the populace were curious to see a king hanged and so it is dietrich kind dietrich sighed one while another laughed and answered what does that matter to us it is all the same whether a man is a king or a beggar when he comes to be hung ah yes said a third the rope is an uncomfortable necktie for any man but that it should be tried on a crowned head is a thing i never expected to see the procession arrived at its destination the prisoners were led to the foot of the gallows be of good cheer sir king said the executioner you once gave me a handful of gold pieces and to show you my gratitude i have provided a silken rope for you that will do the business very quickly the other two gentlemen must put up with common hemp i'm sorry to say by st michael i never did a day's work before that i liked so ill pray loose my hands for a moment good fellow asked rother that i may say a prayer a pious wish replied the man i will also pray to my patron saint and beg him to take you straight to heaven from the gallows tree he loosed the king's hands as he spoke and then began to pray meanwhile rother drew out his horn from under the pilgrim's mantle where it was concealed three times its wild call sounded over mountain and valley like a cry for help to the faithful friends who were waiting fully armed in the depths of the wood but king imelod growing impatient commanded that the executioner should himself be hung if he delayed any further to do his duty the man was frightened and began to bind rother's hands again but at that moment a loud noise was heard in the background it was arnold who with his men had joined rother's other friends and who now came with them to the rescue of his former benefactor there was a fearful battle imelot and many more fell fighting desperately while basilistum was slain during the fight the whole army of desert babylon was scattered or destroyed after the victory king rother asked for the emperor but found that constantine had thought prudence the better part of valor and had long before fled to the palace where he had taken refuge in the women's apartments his courage had all ebbed away and he begged his wife and daughter to entreat rother to save him out of the hand of the giants those veritable children of the evil one the ladies were soon ready to go out and meet the ruler of the west they placed the timid emperor in their midst 
and accompanied by numerous train set out for the wood the first people they met were the giants asprian's falcon eyes at once spied out the emperor carefully as he tried to hide himself stretching his long arm over the empress he seized him by the scruff of the neck and flung him on the ground widalt raised his club to put an end to him as he lay there senseless but his master stopped him saying not so widalt away with the miserable wretch to the gallows the giant caught the emperor up as easily as if he had been a baby and went dancing along the road to the gallows with him in his arms but they soon came up with rother and his heroes and the king pardoned constantine he could not have done otherwise his wife was once more in his arms and where love rules wrath and vengeance have no place when they all met in the banqueting room that evening the emperor found himself unusually hungry after the many and varied emotions he had gone through and it is said that he devoured a whole leg of mutton and drank an immense quantity of wine king rother left the whole of the eastern empire which he had just conquered in the hands of his father-in-law and then set sail for bari accompanied by queen oda arrived there they went on to rome where a second marriage was solemnized with great pomp rother and his wife lived long and happily together and had many children we shall hear pleasant things of their daughter herka or herche or helke and their granddaughter herat as time goes on end of section two